You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our hearing, be with us now to sanctify unto, unto us the truths that shall be derived from them. Be with us especially to enlighten our minds by thy Holy Spirit, and by the mighty working of thy power, Bring into the way of truth all such as have erred and are deceived. Be pleased also, O Lord, to strengthen such as do stand, and comfort and help the weak-hearted, and raise them up that fall, and finally to beat down Satan under all our feet. All this we humbly ask in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, you will find it helpful uh, helpful to have a Bible with you to turn to Romans chapter 8 if you have one of the Advent leather-bound Bibles. That's page 944 in that. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 is primarily about Christian assurance. Paul begins the chapter by saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in verse 39, the very last verse in chapter 8, Paul writes that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And between no condemnation and no separation, Paul talks about what it means to be a Christian and what the Christian life looks like. Verses 5 through 14 Compare and contrast the Christian with the non-Christian. The Bible only envisions two kinds of people, believers and unbelievers. And often we do ask the question around here, is there any real difference apart from faith? Well, Paul answers the question here in Romans chapter 8. He tells us that you can tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian in the ways that they live their life. In verse 5, he diagnoses it in this way. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So those that have their minds set upon the flesh, and the New International Version translates this as sinful nature, Not flesh as in sort of fleshly desires necessarily or sexual desires, but the entirety of our sinful nature. That those who are unbelievers, that's what they have their minds set upon. But the Christians have their their minds set on the things of the Spirit and live according to the Holy Spirit of God. This is the difference. Two different and opposing orientations of life that manifest itself and how a non-Christian and a Christian live their lives day in and day out. Now, when I say how we live, I mean that it can be identified in two ways. In the first way, we can ask the question, what or who controls us? The flesh, the sinful nature, 
or the Spirit. Now, when Paul speaks here of the flesh or sinful nature, he's talking about a life lived apart from the grace and redeeming power of God. The flesh is who we are apart from God's saving grace. It's unredeemed, unregenerate humanity. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, for those who are believers, it is He who controls and directs the life of a Christian. The Holy Spirit controls a person who has been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a mark of a Christian, that God's Spirit dwells within you. One commentary puts it this way. Imagine that there are two factories. One is run by the sinful nature and the other by the Holy Spirit. They control all mechanisms of production. They determine what comes out of each factory. And so it is in our own lives that when we live life in the flesh, apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we should expect flesh, sinful nature to control our lives and to produce such things that are in opposition, opposition to God. But a life in the Spirit produces those things that are of God, that give glory to God, and are for the good of God's people. Or to use a more biblical example, two different nations, of which were a citizen of one or the other, were either citizens of the nation of sinful flesh or were citizens of the kingdom of the Spirit of God. Where does our citizenship lie? It determines who we are in our own lives. It's the supreme and primary identifying mark of a human being. The Christian is controlled by the Spirit. The unbeliever is controlled and driven by their sinful nature. So the first distinctive then is how life is lived is who is in control. Who's at the center of your life? Who's taken up the throne of your heart? That's the first question Paul asks us. The second question that defines how we live our life is what you're living life for. Here again what St. Paul says in the second half of verse 5. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They set their minds on things. Sometimes we talk about this as having a certain mindset. But there's something very unique about the way that Paul is speaking here that I think is absolutely essential for us to understand where our citizenship lies and what the key is that unlocks the citizenship. And that is setting our minds. That in effect, what Paul is saying is that when you enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, God, by the power of His Spirit, begins to change and affect your life in such a way that the actual affections of your heart are changed and reoriented. Paul says elsewhere that this is a renewing of the mind. Or to use other language from the Bible, metanoia or repentance, a change in perspective a going in a different direction. And this is what happens when God's Spirit is poured into your life as a, as a result of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on you. Your affections are changed. 
That which you once cared about and cared for pales in comparison to the affection that you now have for Jesus and His kingdom. When Lauren and I were dating, it's an amazing effect that, that dating and romance has on any individual. And I can remember getting into my, I had a, just to give you some perspective, I, I drove a Jeep with uh, really big tires on it, and uh, I had a bumper sticker on the back of my Jeep. I can't believe that I did this, but it said, I vote and I chew, don't tax my chew. And we get into this vehicle, and a bunch of buddies pile in, and I turn on uh, the ignition. And remember when we had CD players? Well, the CD that was playing came blaring through the speakers, and it was Britney Spears or NSYNC or some boy band. I don't remember what it was, but whatever it was made me die for the volume and immediately turn it down. And, of course, every eye was on me wondering, what in the world has gotten into you, Andrew? Well, the fact of the matter is because I was in love with Lauren I began to like and have affection for the things that she liked. A week before, I could have cared less about that music. In fact, I would have said, that's terrible. I'll never play it in my car. But because of the love that Lauren had for me and the love that I had for her, I found my affections changed. I found myself reoriented to the point that everyone looked at me and wondered, is this the same person? It doesn't seem to fit. But sure enough, there it is, real, loud and clear, blaring through the speakers. Each and every single one of us orients our lives around what it is that has captured our hearts. What has captured your heart? Well, you're either in bondage to sin You've been captured by it and held fast. Or you've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ and He's captured your heart and released it and given it freedom. And this is the great division in our world. What are you living for? Where do your affections lie? Those who live according to their sinful nature are living for things from which God is excluded. Full stop. Those who live in the Spirit have their hearts set upon God and now live for Him. Has your mind and heart been radically changed? We can all work very hard on the outside, teach you good manners, you can go to church, you can do all things outwardly that make it seem like you have got it all together and that a great change may have happened in your heart. But if we are to see this change in our lives, it must be from the inside out. Paul is not saying here, well, you can judge who the Christians are by looking at how well-lived their lives are. No, he's saying that the change that happens within the heart begins to manifest itself, that the object of your affection is now Jesus Christ, and that change must be affected by God Himself. 
For in verse 6, he tells us, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Because if you're living life in the flesh, you are dead to the things of God. Things that a Christian man or woman would glory in will have no effect on the unbeliever who is dead. William Wilberforce, who helped abolish the slave trade in the British Empire in the 19th century, was great friends with the Prime Minister William Pitt the Younger. And Wilberforce, in his journals, writes that he prayed daily for Pitt that he would come to know the Lord. And from time to time, Pitt would in, or Wilberforce would invite his friend Pitt to come and hear preaching. And on one particular Sunday, he invited Pitt to come hear the great preacher in London, Richard Cecil. And Wilberforce said to Pitt, you will be surely blessed to hear him preach. And Pitt was very happy to go along with, with Wilberforce to hear Cecil preach. And Wilberforce wrote that day that when he heard Cecil preach, it was like a man on fire for Jesus in the pulpit. Wilberforce himself found himself weeping in his pew, bent over, overwhelmed with the grace of Jesus Christ that he heard in Cecil's sermon. And so when they left, Wilberforce asked Pitt, well, what about that? Pitt said, my dear fellow, I've never heard so much meaningless rubbish in all my life. I had no idea what that man was saying. Why was that? Wilberforce was spiritually alive and Pitt spiritually dead. Wilberforce born again, Pitt dead in sin. We are incapable of raising ourselves to new life in Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, they say, he's been dead four days. You don't want to open the tomb. And when Lazarus comes out, he doesn't say, well, I've been waiting around for you as I've willed myself to come back to new life. But he's been dead for four days, and it's only at the word of Jesus Christ, Lazarus, come out, that life comes into him that breath fills his lungs, and he is able to step out in the bandages and wrappings of his grave. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. And so like Lazarus, we are spiritually dead. We can't see it. We can't hear it for what it is. And not just that. In verse 7, Paul says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now, very few people think about that. Many of us are very happy to say, okay, well, those who are apart from Jesus Christ, they, they can't hear the Word of God for what it is. Only the Spirit can break through to their hearts. But here, Paul goes so far as to say nobody is neutral when it comes to God. They're either a member of His kingdom and owe their allegiance to Him, or they're in a state of hostility, of enmity to God, that they're actually working against Him. 
There's no halfway. It is either or. One of the marks that we know that we love God is that we love His Word. Because apart from God's Word, we have no knowledge of who God is, of who we are, and what He's done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so one of the marks of our love of God is that we develop a love for His Word. And if you read Psalm 119 over and over and over again, the psalmist says, Lord, I love Your law. Lord, I love Your Word. But what are you thinking of as you sit under the preaching of God's Word? I would imagine that even now, some of you are irritated. You wonder, why must Andrew go on saying these things that are in the Bible? Why should God demand certain things of me? I just want a nice five-minute pep talk, and that's enough. I was given a visitor card uh, some uh, months ago after a service, and I was not the one who was preaching, but I was there for the service, and I thought the sermon was a particularly good one. But on this visitor card, it said, this service would be so much better if that man would just stop preaching. Now, that card was anonymous, of course, but I would say that you're not anonymous to God, and those are the words of an unregenerate person. If you're one who would be perfectly happy to never have a sermon again, I wonder that the Spirit of God dwells within you. Unless you think I'm elevating the sermon too high, what have you missed most since we've been quarantined? What have you missed most? When we get back together, God willing, May the 3rd, what is it that you're most looking forward to? Now, let me say it's fine to miss the lesser things. I miss any number of things uh, that, that we are not able to do here on the live stream and because of the need for social distancing. But do you miss the greatest of all? Gathering together as brothers and sisters around God's Word. Are you at a place where you're desperate enough to be overjoyed just to have five people with your Bibles open praying and singing a cappella? That when it comes to it, you're willing to do away with all, that, all the rest because your heart is set upon God and you long to be in His presence. You long to be with your brothers and sisters. That is a mark that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that's the promise that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ in verses 9 through 11, Paul says that in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. He says it a number of times in just those three verses. And don't you know that? That when you do trust in Christ, that He pours His Spirit into you. And that the Holy Spirit begins to apply the gospel of Christ to your hearts and you come under His gracious rule. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we live perfect lives. Look back at Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks about this war that is happening within him. Who will rescue me from this body of death, he asks. And before you think that the psalmist in Psalm 119 is just projecting some sort of religiosity, after 175 verses of claiming how he delights in God's Word, hear how Psalm 119 ends. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. You see, there it is. It's a greater self-awareness that as I love God and I love His Word, I realize more and more the war that is within me, and I throw myself wholly upon His mercy. He's the fortress into which I run. He is my rock, and He is my refuge, not my own flesh. Dick Lucas who for decades was the rector of St. Helen's Bishopsgate in London, said this about the life of a Christian. I have come to understand that it's not we who make Christ Lord. It is He who makes us His servants. It's not we who make Christ Lord. It is He who makes us His servants. Do you see that? Do you see that it's God who pursues you and breaks through and calls you out of the tomb of your spiritual existence? That He makes us sons and daughters and citizens of His kingdom? And that He pours His Spirit into our lives because when He gets a hold of you, He changes everything. We are controlled by Him, and we begin to live for Him, for He is our only hope. Have you been made alive in Christ? Or are you dead and hostile to His kingdom? Is God breaking through right now? Is He forcing you to release your life from your cold, dead hand? Because, brothers and sisters, this morning he speaks. And listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we pray that you would break through. Lord, for those of us who live life according to our sinful nature, would be called from our tombs, that the dungeon would flame with light, that our chains would fall off, that we would know that our heart is free and that we would rise, go forth, and follow Thee. Lord, that we would know whose kingdom we belong to and who controls us. And Lord, who it is that we live for. Oh Lord, send Your Spirit into our hearts that we might be made your people, a heavenly kingdom, in whom there is no condemnation and no separation in Jesus Christ. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.